I want to also say thanks to everybody that was here last week and gave in our Thanksgiving offering. Our Thanksgiving offering was amazing, and I, I thank you so much for that. And, uh, and if you missed Friday night, man, Friday night was incredible. And I just want to take just a minute. And I, this is not to make anybody feel bad for not coming. I'm not shaming anybody because you didn't come. I realized that there was all kinds of things going on. But maybe I have not done a good job of explaining the heart behind us having revival nights. And that's that once a month, as we, we won't have one in December, but starting the first of the year, as we have these revival nights, it's to, uh, there's just a deposit that happens as we go after the presence of God. And um, I didn't know if everybody was going to leave Friday night. It was such a sweet presence of God. And just, I, I looked up and the worship team's out here just, you know, on the floor. And, and God was doing so many amazing things. And so when I, we say revival nights, we're not just looking for another activity to do at the church. It's not just another meeting. It's not just to say, hey, we had church. We really are believing God and we're being very specific about who we bring in for those revival nights to deposit a miracle in the house. Is Misty here? Misty, stand up real quick. Come up here real quick, Misty. We'll take a second. I meant to do this first service and I forgot. Um, well, she can just talk. You're good? You want me to talk for you? Okay. <laughs> I'm good. She did not get healed of fear Friday night. No. I'm just picking. Uh, she came Friday night, thought maybe she had a, a gallstone happening. It was, she was hurting really bad. And they came thinking, um, we'll see what that happens. I went, I went to the doctor. You went to the doctor? I After thought you were going to talk. Oh, I'm just kidding. Well, well, I went to the doctor, and they told me to go to the ER. Yeah. And then what happened? I came here. I said, I'll go after church. And what happened? And Jonathan touched me, and it was gone. Amen. Like, I, I had no, pain. no pain. That was before church ever started. So there was just the glory of God was here, and let's celebrate God doing miracles, and it was incredible. How many else received a miracle Friday night? It was incredible, incredible. So awesome. I just wanted to give that little testimony and explain about Friday nights and our revival nights and the great deposit of the Holy Spirit that was here. Uh, we're starting our new series. Did y'all saw that? Wasn't that video awesome? That was an awesome family. Let's give it out for the Wonder Gems. So... Um, we start this new series today at the table, and I, 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 of course, obviously, you can look at me and tell that I love the table. That's very apparent that I like, I'm all about the table, but uh, there's a lot of things that happen at the table that are even more so than eating. Um, you know, Angela, my wife, Angela, she, she, just, she just loves when the kids come over, and, and we're all sitting at the table, and I know just a, a few weeks ago, Jason and Sarah were in town, and and then Audrey and Ryan came over, and all those all are like my kids. And they all came and was all sitting at our big table, and we had all chairs pulled up on every corner of it. And it's a pretty big table, and we, we stuffed it full of everybody. And, and there was just this moment I was sitting at the table. Actually, I took a picture of it. And we're all sitting at the table, and I thought, this is, this is what it's all about right here. And the food was good, but it was something greater than the food there. It was family. And there's... There's so many amazing things happen at the table of the Lord that's greater than just the food that we eat, but the goodness of God that we get to receive at his table. So over the next uh, five or six weeks, we're going to be just doing this series at the table, and, and you don't want to miss any of it. It's going to be incredible. 
And, uh, but today I'm going to share about a place to belong, a place of belonging for you at the table. And uh, as you notice today that we have an empty chair today at the table. And I want you to think about that being a place for you. Ephesians 2 says this. It says, remember that you were at the time, at one time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and, his, and broken down in his flesh and dividing all the walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in, in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that good? Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord. In him you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. I love what the Passion Translation says. It says, The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. We're no longer hopeless or strangers, but God has brought us together is the family of God. And because of the cross, we get to come to the table. Because of the goodness of God, we, get to, to, we sit at the table of mercy. We sit at the table of hope. We sit at the table of joy. And I just want to share with you some things this morning that's, that's so powerful about the table. Because there was a time that only certain people were allowed to come to the table. Only a certain group of people. As you remember in the Old Testament that, uh, that only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And so the tribes, they stood on the outside hoping to peer in, to see and to wait, to hear, what, hear about the glory of God, but not, they didn't get to experience it. And then Jesus came. And Jesus walked among us and he lived his life and then he died on the cross and he, he, met, he gave us full access into the holy place. And he set a table before us and said, hey, this is a place that you belong. I want you to come to me. I want you to come boldly to me. Come to me with your heart. Come to me with your request. Come to me with, just come to me, whoever you are. And we now can all go into that holy place and have, and, and make our petitions known before the Lord. We can come with, with the affection that he has for us. We can come and embrace him and seek him and, and experience him. Today in our worship, as I was feeling this in the spirits, so the Lord come and let us experience you. And Michelle talked about a habitation, not just a visitation, not something that the priest would come to the outer courts and then he would announce from the front door of the holy place. But we get to go into that holy place and have union with him. 
and meet him face to face and encounter his presence. And I believe it's God's heart that he wants us to be at the table with him and to sit with him. Have you ever walked into a place where you assumed there would be a, a place for you at the table? Like there was an invitation and you walked in and when you got to the table, the table was full of people and, and there was nowhere to sit. And it was that one of those awkward moments. Anybody ever had that experience where you're like, oh, wow. So did they really want me here or not? I mean, did I hear them say come? And was I invited? And now I'm standing here and everybody's looking at me and the table is full and, and where do I go? And what do I do now? And, you know, and then you hope somebody's going to scramble and say, hey, let's pull up another table. Or here, here's a chair. You can have my chair. But they all just look at you like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Such an awkward place to be. And oftentimes I feel like people feel that way about the table of the Lord. You know, the, I want to give you a few statistics on, on loneliness today. You know, loneliness is a terrible thing. I've told people many times before, it's a whole lot worse to be lonely single than to be lonely married. Because there's people that are married and still experience loneliness. Because loneliness is, is a heartbreaking thing. But I want to talk to you about some of the <clears throat> things that maybe you haven't heard this before. But, you know, hunger is a warning that our blood sugar is low and that we need to eat. As a matter of fact, this morning, so funny because I was saying, I got the shakes this morning. I just, I, I don't. I don't feel real good, and and uh, I don't know who was standing there, Ann and somebody else, oh, and 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 Angela Murray, and they said like, "Have you eaten anything?" I'm like, "No." They're like, "Well, maybe you ought to eat something." So Angela went and got me a banana, and I ate the banana, and you know what? I feel pretty good. Amen. So hunger, hunger, hunger tells us some things. Like, hey, maybe your body's telling you some things. Uh, thirst warns us that we need to drink to avoid uh, dehydration. Pain alerts us to the potential tissue damage. Loneliness tells us that we need social connection. That something critical in our well-being is, is something as critical in our well-being as food and water. But yet, he explains in this understanding that when you deny these feelings of loneliness, it makes you more more sense in denying your hunger feelings you just when you deny this when you ignore this there is something going on inside of you that i need a social connection i'm lonely it's been said that four out of ten people in the world feel that there's no place for them in society and that loneliness is one of the greatest things that leads to hopelessness to avoid hopelessness we have been created to have a place of belonging and intimate bonds and we need community, a place of confidence, a place that we can confide in people, a place that we trust, a place to have support. I can't talk about that enough, how important it is that we have people in our life, a support system in our life, and people that we, can, that we confidently can go to. And, you know, the scripture says this. It says, confessing our faults one to another that we might be healed. A lot of things that goes on in our lives every day is because we don't have some place to go or there's this place of loneliness and we don't have anyone to share with and we don't have anyone that we trust in. And so a lot of sickness, not just of the heart, but it, it, it becomes sickness even of the body is because of this loneliness that we feel. And, and, and to be alone is being lonely and being lonely are not the same thing. Because loneliness feels draining and distracting and upsetting. 
but, long, but to be alone is desiring solitude and a place of peace and creativity. I know there's people in this room that your happy place is to be alone, to be alone, to be where you can just hear from God and you can be creative and you have that moment alone. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm not talking about those places of creativity or, or being alone, but I'm talking about a place of loneliness where you don't feel like that you belong, that you have a place at the table, that you have a place where you can share. And uh, there are many things that can make us feel lonely and forgotten. Fortune magazine says that half of all Americans feel lonely, especially young people. A nationwide survey of 20,000 adults 40, 54% said they feel that no one actually knows them well. That no one actually knows them well. 40% said that they lack companionships and that their relationships aren't meaningful and they feel isolated from others. Many feel connected more with TV personalities than they do with their neighbors or even people in their own home. That amazes me right there that people feel more connected, they relate more to TV personalities than the people that live around them, the neighbors beside them. Maybe that's even talking about the office place or the people you work with or even the people that live with them in their own house. Media analysts, analysts of studies that lo of studying loneliness research found that living with air uh, air pollution increases your odds of dying nearly 5%. And living with obesity, 20%. Excessive drinking, 30%. And living with loneliness, it increases your odds of dying nearly by 45%. That's huge. Just the lack thereof. Not having the relationships, not having that companionship feeling like there's no place for you in life. And more and more people find themselves lost in social media, creating what is called social loneliness. It is the absence of real community. And they can be in a crowded room and, a crowded room and still have the feeling of lack of human connection and the painful feeling of isolation. Can I just stop here for just a minute? This device right here that I carry every day and most of you do. As wonderful it is to be able to Google anything that comes up and ask any question and make the connection to call and to stay in touch and to text and all of those things. We're replacing real connection, real relationships with social media. And I just want to tell you this morning, Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Marco Polo and all the other ones that are out there I probably don't know, are not real connections with people. Now, I use these devices myself. I, I text and I Marco Polo, and, and I have to tell you that I, you know, I, when somebody told me about Marco Polo, I said, that's pretty cool right there because I like to see people and feel like I'm talking to them. And, and, but, and the truth of the matter is, though, that, that there's something broke down in our social connection when we use this device and feel like we're connected with the world around us. In all actuality, we're disconnecting with real people and real feelings. We're disconnecting with our spouses. We're disconnecting with our kids. We're disconnecting with our friends. 
And instead of causing a greater connection, in all actuality, we're, we're causing a social frenzy of, of, of disconnection and loneliness and people feeling like, well, I'm, I'm only a Facebook post. I'm only a, you know, Instagram post. And so much of what we see on Facebook and Instagram and these stories are just the highlights of people's life, but not the true part of their life. They don't, it's not a place where they really feel a belonging and where they can, they can feel like, hey, man, I can just share truthfully. Now, some people share plenty on there, some they shouldn't, that shouldn't. But when you hang out your dirty laundry on social media, it doesn't mean that you have a, a, a people that really care and respond to you. As a matter of fact, if you'll pay attention to that, mostly what you receive back is the negativity of others. Either they partner with you in your, your negativity or they speak against it. They don't really heal you. And so with all the social media, we can become disconnected and not have relationships that are meaningful. And God did not create us to be alone. The Lord created man, and he put him in the garden. And, and when he put man in the garden, he realized real fast that, you know what? It's not good for a man to be alone. And the Lord said, it's not good, for, in, in Genesis 2, it's not good for a man to be alone, so, we, so I will make him a helper fit for him. I'll make him a helper that's fit for him. See, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that God has caused people to be in our life, not just our spouses, but people to be in our life that's fit for us, that, that intertwine with us, that make us whole, that complete us. And even though we think about what happened in the garden, everybody says, yeah, he created, you know, all kinds of bad jokes about that, about he created Eve, and then look what she did. She ate of the tree and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and, you know what my thought about that is that, Adam was standing there. He should have been the man of the house, but that's another story. Well, look what happened, though, at the end of that. God separated them from the garden, but in his wisdom, he didn't separate them from each other because God knew that they could live without the garden, but they couldn't live without one another. It was so important that they had the relationship with one another. And Ecclesiastes 4 the scripture tells us it's two, it, two are better than one because they have a good reward of their toil. For if, they, uh, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a three-cord is not quickly broken. When God knits us together, he knits us together for a greater purpose than just to be together. He knits us together to, to comfort, to share, to fight for one another, to stand with one another. And God, in his intentionality, put us in a place that we could live our life so bound together with each other. That, and he knew that that place of loneliness would would cause us to fall away, but he put us together and he bound us together so that we would have strength. The Bible says that one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. I could go on today all day long where passage of scripture, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he said, I'm not gonna send you out alone. I'm gonna send you out in twos. There's so much scripture about the power of, of, of communion and community and being together. 
I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, we talked about where you fit in, like the piece of puzzle that I handed out in the room. And where do you fit into this, this place of the big picture that's bigger than you? And we looked at the piece of puzzle and like, well, it felt like maybe this, this is where I fit in. This is what I do and this is how I, I look. But I want to ask you a question today. Do you make room for other people to fit into your life? Do you make room for uh, the people with uh, their piece of the puzzle that's, that really connects to you, that really makes you shine? Do you leave room in your life for them? And do you say, I'm never going to be complete without having someone else in my life? Someone else to help me, someone else to speak into my life. You know, the Lord set his table for you and he brought and he bought it with the blood of Jesus and he set this table and he said you know the table's not complete without you there's a place for you to belong there's a place there's a seat at the table that's empty it's there there's an invitation for you to come there's a place for you to sit and when I created you before the world was ever framed I created a place for you in the kingdom of God a place at the table a place where you can feel and experience the goodness of God where you can be a part of something that's greater than you, where you can have community, where you can feel the love of God, a place of connection. And he bought it with his precious blood, and he invited everyone to the table. He says, come dine, come feast at the table. Be the partakers of this life-giving body so that you might become, with, become one with him and become one with each other. And it's the body of Christ. It's the church of the living God. So how did we get a seat at the table? How do we we come to this place, this place of invitation? It's real simple. There's an invitation that's waiting for you. The question is, will you accept the invitation? Will you accept the invitation to the table and say, Lord, I want to come sit at the table of your goodness. I want to come sit at the table of your mercy. I want to come be with the people, the body the family of God. I just want to tell you this morning, the table is prepared so that you wouldn't have to walk through this life alone, hurting, isolated, not having a place. But the family of God is the place where you come and there's, there's peace and there's joy and there's comfort. I think oftentimes we talk about family and this hit me this morning really strong because we are a family church and we talk about family a lot. But there's something that can happen even with family that we have to be careful of, that we don't become so tight-knit, a fam- tight-knit family that when others come to the table, they walk into that room and the table is full and there's nowhere for them to sit. They feel that awkward moment like, yeah, it feels good. I'll feel an invitation, but I'm not sure that I really belong. I want to make room not just for my own life, but I want to make room for other people at the table of God. And I want my life to be an invitation to bring others in to say, hey, you don't have to live in that place of loneliness and brokenness, but there, here's a seat for you. Here's a place for you. That God has prepared for you. That he's planned for your life. Matthew 22 talks about that. It says, talking about the wedding feast, it said, for everyone is invited to enter in, but few respond few respond to this excellence everyone is invited to come in but to flip the switch for just a moment 
There's a responsibility upon you to receive the invitation. There's a responsibility upon you to say, I'm going to come and be a part of, and I'm going to sit at the table because I see that there's a place for me in the kingdom of God. So I want you to pull up a chair today, and I want you to lean in, and I want you to experience, and I want you to have an appetite that says, man, Lord, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to sit at the table of your goodness and your mercy, and I'm going to experience the greatness of God. Today, we're going to share with you uh, when we talk about the body, you know, the body is incredible. When we look at this bread, it, it's a symbol of the body of Christ. And you're a part of this. You're a part of this. But the Lord had to be broken so that we could be whole. And he said, I will, I'm going to give up my body. I'm going to let my body be broken so that you can be one. His body was broken to heal us from all disease. His body was broken so that we might have life and to have peace and to have joy. His body, his body was broken so that you would not be alone. So that you would not have to walk through this world by yourself. He created a place at the table for you when his body was broken. And he said, hey, I want to invite you to come and dine. To feast at the table of my goodness to experience this place of belonging, to heal your brokenness, to heal your wounds, to heal the places in your life of, that feel so void. I want to break my body to be broken so that you could be whole, so that you could be complete. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together and and when we get ready to take communion, I want you to think about how God has allowed his life to be broken so that you could be a part of the body. And when I talk about the body, I'm not just talking about this local church. Over my shoulder here is a painting of the nations. And I could talk about generations today. Generation after generation that has come and gone and the generations that will come after us. And he broke his body so that all could be one. So that we could celebrate his goodness together. And that we could be healed. And the cup. The cup we drink from today, we're not going to all drink from one cup. I know it's flu season. We're not going to all drink from one cup. But the cup represents one body, one blood. The sacrifice that he made. I think Michelle quoted this in our last communion service. He said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood. Some of them jumped up and ran away. Said, hey, well, that's a little too weird for me, Lord. Can't do that. But today I want you to think about the body of Christ and stepping in. That the price that he paid so that you could step into the holy place. I want you to think of it more than just a communion, but I want you to think of it about how he, he did all of this so that we could come before him and experience his goodness. And we would run to the cup. And we would run to the body. And we'd say, I, I want to be a part of that. There's room at the table for you this morning.